When you set out on a fat loss journey, fat loss can happen very, very quickly. I would encourage you all to take a mindset of, it might take me a long time, but if I do it correctly, I can sustain it for life. It doesn't have to be something that ultimately you get once and then you're chasing it. Sometimes many of us are always feeling like, oh, it's, it's hard to sustain. That's not reality. You don't have to constantly just get it and then, and then chase it, right? Once you understand fat loss, once you actually understand what needs to happen inside your body, I believe it's a relatively simple thing to sustain. And that's one of my goals for today is to give you guys a sustainable process that you can ultimately sustain not only now, but for the rest of your life. And I have a belief that if you understand a process, it allows you to do it repeatedly. What we don't want to do as, as grown humans is fight against ourselves, right? Do something and then feel like, oh God, it's hard. I got to keep doing it. Okay. It, it, it's, like, it's like trudging through the mud, right? I don't ever want to feel like trudging through the mud. And I guarantee there's a small number of things or potentially a very large number of things that you can do on a regular basis that will make fat loss easy for you. So the first thing we have to acknowledge when I say that is the inevitable individuality of us all, right? We're all very different humans. We all have very different, uh, remember this, we have different genetics, we have a different history, we have a different lifestyle. So those are our kind of primary considerations. When I have a new client comes to me, I am going to have some thought around, well, what is this person's genetics? What is their history? So have they succeeded or failed? Have they been athletic? Have they been healthy in the past or unhealthy? And what is their current lifestyle? And then ultimately, we have to design a workout plan, design a nutrition plan, design a lifestyle plan around that that gets them their end result, right? So a simple way to think about this is all of these external signals that exist in life, you guys have heard me say this before, so the external signals may be movement or training, it may be nutrition or nourishment, it may be stress, it may be sleep, all of these things combine ultimately to create this internal hormonal milieu or cascade. Let's think of it like this internal stew or soup that exists in your body, right? So you have all these things that come in from the outside and create this internal biochemical reality inside your body that ultimately determines the outward expression of what you look like and ultimately how you feel. So as we walk through this thought process, we, it's important to understand that uh, our aspiration of uh, why we do all these things is to create specific hormonal profiles. So if we break down what's actually happening in the process of transforming your body. It is absolutely hormones that are driving whether or not we're lean, whether or not we're fat. But here's the thing. Hormones are not the objective. Hormones are a byproduct. Hormones are, a, are an end result. Those are not the things that we aspire to. So many people, specifically bodybuilders, oftentimes go straight to manipulating hormones, but you're missing the processes or the steps that lead up to the hormones. Because when you influence hormones directly by taking them exogenously, you actually can sometimes cause a whole number of other negative things to happen inside your body that makes you, again, fight against yourself. Anybody here feel like you're kind of fighting against yourself sometime? Fat loss feels hard. Muscle building feels hard. Yeah, it doesn't have to be, right? So what we want to do first is we want to help you remove the brakes. Everyone wants to push more gas pedal, work harder, diet harder. Let's not do that yet, right? So the first thing we want to start doing is we want to remove the brakes. So we're going to talk to you today about some of the things that are getting in your way 
ultimately of losing fat easily. Realize the default uh, state of your body is it that it wants to lose fat. Your body doesn't want to retain fat. Fat is ultimately unhealthy. Your body doesn't want to retain fat. If you're consuming a massive excess of calories, your body's going to love to, to store fat. But trust me when I say if you're healthy, your body will want to be lean, right? I have a belief that lean, healthy, and muscular is the default natural state of a healthy person, right? We want to be ultimately the, the, the outward expression of internal health. First, we're going to talk about why you're failing or the, these common mistakes and misconceptions. Second, we're going to talk about how fat loss works. It's ultimately a two-step process, and you must understand both steps in the process so you can understand how to be successful. Three, what makes fat loss stall? Four, ultimately, what impacts hormones, which is, or sorry, what impacts fat loss, which is ultimately hormones. Five, what you can do about it. And a few things, specifically one thing that you've probably never heard of that might be the most important aspect of fat loss. Um, I'm going to save that one wait right to the end because it is a bit complex, but I'm going to talk to you guys about it right at the end because it's uh, important and something you will be hearing extensively in years to come, not just from me, but from a lot of fitness professionals who simply aren't there yet. Hey, everybody, just a quick interruption to this podcast from a message from our sponsors. Our sponsor today is Organifi. You guys have heard me talking about Organifi green and red for a long time. I've been drinking it every day. Typically, it's been post-workout lately. And sometimes I even bring the red intra-workout to increase my pumps and just give me a little bit of sugar that I need to keep that high performance going. Allows me to recover effectively and just make sure I cover my bases. Organifi greens and reds are dehydrated, high-quality vegetables and superfoods and fruits that ultimately allow you to get access to all the nutrients your body needs to thrive. Organifi juice and adaptogenic blend powders, as well as supplements to support immunity, digestion, and detoxification. Uh, Organifi is 100% organic and offers something for, truly for everyone. Their clinically proven adaptogenic ingredients um, are... Uh, it tastes amazing and incredibly effective. So head over to Organifi.com slash muscle. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash muscle to get hooked up with 20% off your order. And that's everything store-wide, whether you get the greens, the reds, the gold, the proteins. They've also got some delicious proteins that I suggest you check out as well. But at very least, if you're going to choose one or choose two, Definitely, definitely, definitely grab the greens and the reds. And uh, if you're feeling adventurous, go ahead and grab their gold, which I promise you will not regret. Uh, Organifi.com slash muscle. Back to the show. All right. So 10 simple things that uh, I want you to know about transforming your body before we begin. One, it's not hard. Most people are working hard because they're doing things incorrectly inefficiently and in the wrong order. So one of my, many of my active clients will attest, fat loss does not have to be hard. It does require consistency. It does require some discipline, but ultimately it's not hard. Most of us, unfortunately, are 
seeking instant gratification. I want to be able to die for three days and lose body fat that's taken me five to 10 years to accumulate. That doesn't work, right? So we have to be realistic about our timelines. You're not going to lose 10 years of accumulated body fat in 30 days. You can lose a significant amount. You can lose, I don't know, 10, 20 pounds in 30 days. We have Aaron on here who's lost 30 pounds in 90 days or more or less, which is pretty amazing. Um, But also not uncommon when you start learning what the how to get the body actually doing what you want it to do. That's one. It's not hard. Two, your past failures or setbacks are in no way responsible for your future outcomes. They in no way affect your future outcomes. So if you failed in the past or you've struggled in the past, that in zero ways affects future outcomes. Three, it's not your genetics. Here's the thing. This is an important thing to realize. We all have strong genetics for something and we have weak genetics for other things. Example, some of us have really strong cognitive genetics. Some of us have really strong muscle building genetics. Some of us have really strong detoxification genetics. Everyone is genetically endowed in some way and genetically deficient in some way. Here's the reality. The people that you see on social media, on fitness stages are genetically endowed to build muscle and lose fat. You may not be but that doesn't mean you can't do it, right? So the absence of genetic endowment may mean mm, it just takes a little bit more diligence. I actually have to know what I'm doing to get the result, right? People who we see on stage and on social media, for the most part, don't know shit. They just follow kind of the, the mindless monkey stuff of the 1970s, 80s, and 90s, and they get in shape. And there's, that's not a, a, a knock, simply an observation, Right. Most people, and you guys all know somebody like this who can eat whatever the hell they want and get an amazing shape. And I often tell this story jokingly. Actually, it's true. When I was with, uh, I'm not going to say the company because I'll tell you who I'm talking about. Uh, I would travel the world through Europe with three, four professional bodybuilders, four guys, two of which were Mr. Olympias and two other guys who were just top in the world. And I traveled uh, with a suitcase of food. I would bring like fish, and chicken and all my, all my carbs in a suitcase and then a suitcase of clothes. These guys would come with no food and they would eat three times a day, steak and French fries all the way up to the contest. Two, two three weeks out there, you're still eating steak and French fries. If I ate steak and French fries going into a contest, I would not be, let's say, I just say I would not be in the kind of shape I need to be in, in contest. But these guys are genetically endowed to be incredibly lean, healthy, and muscular, maybe unhealthy, but lean and muscular. Um, and that's their genetic gift. I had to fight for it. And I, I'm so grateful that I did because ultimately it allowed me to learn these things that I can share with you guys today. Moving along, number four, it doesn't have to take huge amounts of time. It has to be small amounts of effective time. And there's one specific mechanism that is really, really important that we're going to talk about today. There's there's two mechanisms ultimately that are the most important that are controlling whether or not you're burning fat. I'm going to talk about those today. Five, you do not need to sacrifice all the foods you love. You just need to learn when to eat them. Six, you have no idea how much energy, focus, and confidence you can have in a short amount of time. Seven, it does not take steroids, prescription drugs, or crazy fad supplements. It does not. Listen, improving testosterone as a man, sorry, if there's ladies on the call, I know there is. As a man, most guys have this mindset of, I have a testosterone deficiency, therefore I need to take an exogenous supplement. I am not against exogenous testosterone. 
but I still believe everyone should treat themselves like a natural athlete and optimize the 17 step process that optimize testosterone naturally. Why? Because even if I decide at the end of the day to take exogenous uh, supplemental hor uh, hormones, testosterone replacement, I still want to make sure my body has what it needs to thrive internally. So, so many of us are focused on what we look like on the outside and have no intention or attention or awareness to what's going on on the inside of our body. The outside of your body, gentlemen, is an expression of what's happening on the inside. You got to pay attention. So, don't neglect the health of the organism. So, that could be things like the absence of nutrients, the absence of vitamins, the absence of movement, the absence of sunshine. Like if you guys aren't willing to do the basic shit, you're never going to get what you want. So think that through. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. Number eight, people make bad decisions when they're tired, they're stressed, and they're hungry. Tired, stressed, hungry. Learn simple strategies to manage these. So if you want to be lean, healthy, and muscular for life, you should work to not be tired manage stress, and understand hunger. And now, hunger for me isn't, most people think hunger, and most people have a, have a relationship with hunger, such that they feel a little bit of hunger, and they have to eat. They've trained themselves, oh, this is a bad thing, or this is a stressful event, I have to go eat. We have to learn to change that relationship with hunger. Super important. So people make bad decisions when they're tired, stressed, or hungry. Learn to manage these three important steps. Number nine, stress management is possible and actually completely achievable for you. And I don't care who you are, what your past is. There's people coming back from war who can manage their stress, right? And again, I don't know what your, what your past is literally, but we can teach stress management to anyone. And again, yes, PTSD is real. Yes, depression is real. I get it. Um, but there's still a lot you can do to your physiology, your body, that influences your psychology, right? So we can learn stress management, and stress management is absolutely imperative to success in fat loss. And the final one, and just to reiterate, it will not happen overnight. Quick fixes don't work. How many people know somebody who has uh, lost a huge amount of weight only to balloon back up and gain more? Almost everybody. How many of you guys actually experienced that? Don't aspire for quick fixes. Aspire for four things. If you're writing things down, write these four things down. There's four things you should aspire to acquire that we'll walk through today. First, habits. Second, skills. Third, beliefs. Fourth, process. I'm going to say it again. Habits, skills, beliefs, and process. So when you look at someone who walks around at 6% body fat, 8% body fat all year round. Even if that may not be your goal, success leaves clues. Say, what habits, skills, beliefs, and process does that person have that I want to embody? So instead of thinking like, oh, screw them, they have bad genetics, or I'm not willing to do what they do, look at their lifestyle. What time do they get up? What do they do as soon as they get up? What do they do before they go to bed? How do they eat? How do they train? And even though it may not be perfect for you, you can take little bits of information, a little bits of wisdom and apply it to your process, right? So if we look at someone like, let's say, Michael Hearn, who's 53 years old, whether or not he's enhanced is not my uh, judgment to make, but the guy walks around at 
6% body fat at 250 pounds all year round. He's an absolute mutant, but I'll tell you what Mike is. He is the most disciplined person that I've met in the last 25 years. The guy hasn't missed a workout in 30 years, actually probably like 40 by now. He never misses a meal. He's in bed every day by 8 p.m. every day. He's at the gym every day by 4 a.m. And he trains every day so that he can run his business after that. So anyone who wants to talk smack about Michael Hearn and what he's taking, I don't know if you guys know who he is. He's one of the top fitness models in the world. He's in his 50s. Just looks absolutely phenomenal. He's still incredibly strong. What I see when I look at that is what do I have to learn from this guy? What can I... How, what can I take from Mike? How can I be inspired by what he does? Right. So I want to walk through the habits, the skills, the process, and beliefs. And so when I speak of beliefs, you guys all know what that means. Whether you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're right. What do I need to believe to believe that I can be 10% body fat? To know that I can be 10% body fat, right? Many of you guys are like, dude, I don't even want to be 10%. I just don't want fat anymore. That mindset right there will prevent you from getting where you want to go. Right. So I had to have some, you know, call it childlike ignorance when I was young to believe that I was capable of whatever I wanted to do. So if you would have asked anyone in my life from the time I was, you know, I decided I want to be a pro bodybuilder at 15 till I was 24, if you would ask anyone during that frame, time frame, does this guy stand a chance of being a pro bodybuilder? A grand total of zero people would have said yes. Well, maybe one, myself. Everyone else was laughing at me, but I never doubted it. And if you guys actually want to achieve 6% body fat, there's no, there's no doubt, zero doubt in my mind that you can do it. It's 100% possible for you. The question is, are you willing to commit to the plan? And here's the crazy thing. It doesn't even have to be hard. It has to be consistent and it has to be progressive. So when you guys create, when we talk about this final thing, the process, so when you sit down to, to experience the process, there must be intentional progress built into the process. So many people come into a uh, body transformation venture uh, process and they immediately go into, what does everyone do in the beginning? They immediately go into, I have to drop calories and I have to increase cardio. Is that the two things that almost everyone says? Right. Well, is that accurate? The answer is maybe, maybe it is accurate, but it depends where you're starting, right? So if you're someone who's on a typical standard American diet and you're not moving at all, then yeah, you probably do need to drop calories and start doing a little bit of movement. That makes sense. For most of us, if we take away calories, which most people are probably restricting their calories at some level to begin with, but if we take away calories and we increase the amount of work, the amount of exercise, the amount of cardio, the amount of stress, ultimately, all exercise is stress, and we take away calories, which are our greatest lever against stress or our recovery capability against stress, guess what happens? Our training and our stress now exceed our ability to recover from it. Guess what happens? you fail, right? You fail 80% of the time. Maybe you succeed acutely for a short amount of time, but then eventually your body goes up. Oh, sorry, I'm going back to this default state. And this is all again to do with hormones, which I'm going to get into as we progress. All right. So here's a great story that I learned from, uh, I learned from this gentleman. If you guys ever follow professional bodybuilding, there's this bodybuilder during the time I was competing named Juan Morel, 
Um, he's from Puerto Rico and a good bodybuilder, very good bodybuilder, always in crazy, crazy shape, hugely vascular, really, really good, you know, shredded all the time. And probably, you know, one of the leanest guys on stage for sure. Like if anyone hit 4% body fat on a consistent basis, there's probably one. He won a bunch of shows, good bodybuilder. Now, here's what I learned from Juan. Juan put uh, cheat meals um, back on the map in professional bodybuilding. So for a long time, bodybuilders stopped doing these like crazy cheat meals. Juan became world famous for the amount of junk food. Sorry, I don't know if his kids are junk food. He could eat in a really short amount of time. He would, before a contest, he would go to McDonald's and order one of everything on the menu. After a contest, he would go probably to all, all the fast food places and just like gorge himself and still be the best conditioned guy on stage. In the off season, he would say, I have to go to the McDonald's to gain, to maintain or gain. That was his thing. I have, I have to go to McDonald's to gain. Now, so what he does to most people, most people in the back of their mind, they go, oh, how do I do that? If he can do it, how do I do it? I want to be like Juan, right? How many people would want to be able to eat whatever the hell they want and be 4% body fat year round? Most people go, yeah, I want to. Yeah, I'm like, yes. But here's the thing. What I've learned is there's one, there's not a lot of people in the world like Juan. Very few. I've met one in my life, maybe a few. And it's probably not the healthiest thing in the world. So at your age, most of you guys are like, well, it, would it be nice? Yes. Do I want to do it? No, because I want to live long and strong. I want to be here for my family, for my kids, for myself. I want to be able to, to endure an amazing life. So what I've learned is most of us need to get that mindset out of our head where we shouldn't be looking for the easy way to succeed. We should be looking for the predictable way, right? So if we're looking for the fast path, Mm, we're looking for an instant gratification, looking for a quick fix. What we should be looking for is the predictable way that gives us certainty, right? So how many of you guys would choose certainty rather than quick, but potentially not healthy or not sustainable? Great. That's why we're here. I'm here to give you the predictable, repeatable path that I use consistently week in, week out, month in, month out with my clients to get them in great shape. So the reason that bodybuilders, the top bodybuilders from all around the world come to me to one, improve their weak body parts, two, build muscle, three, get in the best shape of life is because it's predictable. It's not hard. When you start to learn the levers you can pull, things become easy. So listen, listen to what levers really means. So when I say a lever, when I begin a, let's say contest prep or a body transformation, let's say we do a 16 to 20 week transformation. Let's assume 16 weeks for this, uh, the, com- the point of conversation today. When I begin, do I want to pull all the levers at once and just try to get my body to burn as much fat as possible? Or do I want, do I want to just like pull the, the biggest lever and go, okay, let's see if I just do this one thing, how much progress can I make? Right? So many people are going to try to throw all the, the levers in at once. And ultimately, they back themselves into a corner. Example, how many people are going to start with zero carbohydrates as soon as they start a diet, right? They're going to start with two hours of cardio as soon as they start a diet. Maybe they're going to start fasting. They start taking fat burners. They're going to, whatever. They're going to throw everything they possibly throw the kitchen sink at it and hope that they get some results. And when they do, which because they will, they feel good. But then what happens? What happens after you've thrown everything at it for three weeks? Where do you go next? 
everyone goes, well, I just don't have the genetics, man. I, you know, just the world doesn't, doesn't, doesn't work for me. Like I, I must not be able to do it. I must, they start passing off the responsibility and the ownership and they go, maybe it's just not possible for me. Right. My response, bullshit. You simply don't know how to do it yet. I'll do my best by the end of today to walk you guys through a process and how to start and then ultimately how to progress. All right. So there's a number of things that uh, are important to know. So your body right now, everyone give me your attention. Your body right now is an exact reflection of your lifestyle, your history, your genetics. If you can't take complete responsibility for that, meaning you are responsible, not your parents, not the government, not McDonald's, not Tim Hortons or, or Dunkin' Donuts drive through you are responsible for what goes into your mouth, the movement you make, and the way your body looks. If you can't do that, you're not going to change. So can I get a show of hands for who's willing and to willing to commit to taking full responsibility for the way they look? Good. If you're not, guys, you're wasting your time, right? Take responsibility for it, even if it sucks. Even if it hurts to go, oh man, you know, like uh, that wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault that my ex-wife ate like shit and made bad food for me. Yes, it was, right? Nobody shoved anything into your mouth. Nobody asked you to sit back and drink those extra beers. Whatever has got you to where you are is completely your responsibility. And when you take responsibility for where you are, it allows you to hopefully start taking responsibility for where you're going. Yes? There's a few misconceptions around fat loss that I don't want to address. And now when I say misconceptions, it doesn't necessarily mean these things are wrong, but sometimes they're contextually um, misplaced. And I'll, I'll explain what I mean as I go. So the first thing that I want to address, the elephant in the room, everyone in, not everyone, not true. There's many people in the science community who uh, shout the loudest, not always the smartest, but shout the loudest, who get a lot of credit or uh, get a lot of followers, we'll say, for the calories in, calories out conversation. There's a lot of people. I can tell you with 100% certainty that calories in, calories out is bullshit. However, there's, there's value to it. There's value to understanding that calories in, calories out uh, is absolutely a factor, but it's not the only factor. So people go, oh, it's the laws of thermodynamics. You're, you're absolutely right. There is laws of thermodynamics, but they don't apply to the human system because it's not a closed system. That means there's other influences that impact caloric expenditure, even something like how, how much your body can increase its, its expenditure's heat, right? We all know that if you go into a cold environment, your body will heat up. That means it's not a closed system. There's, uh, there's a uncoupling of mitochondrial uncoupling that happens when you go into a ketogenic diet. That means calories in, calories out does not necessarily affect the human system. But I will say there's obviously some consideration, right? We can't consume a massive amount of calories and not move. So there has to be some thought around, well, if I'm eating more than I'm expending, chances are if I do that enough over time that the body will want to accumulate more tissue. But here's the other thing. Is it going to accumulate muscle tissue? Is it going to accumulate fat? Is it going to lose muscle tissue? Is it going to lose fat? So here's a fact. I have a client who may or may not be on this call <laughs> um, who did, a, before he started training with me, uh, he did a five-day fast. How much weight did he lose? A grand total of zero pounds. He ate zero food for five days, lost zero pounds. He goes, Ben, how is that possible? 
How do you guys think it's possible? Here's the reality. At any one point in life, your body is burning a certain number of calories. Let's say on average, you're burning 200 calories per hour, 24 hours a day, you're burning whatever, 4,800 calories, right? On average, maybe that's a lot, but give, give you an example. Well, this particular client was burning probably 100% carbohydrate at rest, whereas we actually have the capacity to burn 100% fat at rest or anywhere in between. Does that make sense? So if I'm burning 200 calories an hour, some arbitrary number, there's this continuum that exists. I can either burn all carbohydrate for fuel, I can burn all fat for fuel or anywhere in the middle. And so what we want to do is we want to influence our body to burn more fat for fuel at rest. Yes, makes sense. Do I want to bring carbohydrate at fuel? So I burn through my energy stores, my muscle energy stores, or do I want to burn through fat for fuel? We definitely want to burn through fat for fuel. And I'll tell you what, there's a way to measure this. We can definitively measure gas exchange through our breath. So how much excreted CO2 relative to how much excreted oxygen gives us this respiratory quotient. If you guys want to look up respiratory quotient, we can look up to see, hey, what percentage of excreted gas is being uh, excreted in any instant and tells me exactly what percentage of fat versus what percentage of carbohydrate I'm using. So then we have to go, okay, well, if I know that's possible, and here's the crazy thing. I did a a respiratory gas exchange in 2013. I did it in a lab. And at rest, first thing in the morning before I trained, I was burning about 96 to 98% fat. That's crazy, right? Most most people like, we never see this. This is incredible. Why was that the case? Because I learned all the levers that my body needed to pull to burn more fat at rest. Therefore, I would literally wake up every day visually leaner, right? Does that sound like something to aspire to? If we just drop calories a little bit under our total daily expenditure. So for me, my total daily expenditure back then was probably, so my metabolic, my BMR was about 32, 3,400 calories plus an expenditure was probably about 4,042. So if I just went a little under my, my total daily expenditure, I would burn a lot of fat, right? Rather than a lot of carbohydrate. So I use the carbohydrate in my muscles to train and I burn fat at rest. Sounds like an ideal circumstance? Yes. Now let's talk about what influences that. All right. So the first thing is, as we spoke about, your hormones. So there's going to be, I don't think I have them on my notes, but there's, there's going to be a number of different hormones that I should have them actually, that influence ultimately what you're burning, right? Or, or whether or not you're burning fat, whether or not you're burning carbohydrate. So let, if you guys are taking notes, this is the list. First and foremost, insulin. Insulin is going to be the top of that list. You're making a list, put insulin at the top of the list. Second, adrenaline. Adrenaline is going to be massive. Third, testosterone and estrogen. So you can put testosterone slash estrogen because those kind of go together. Below that, we have leptin and ghrelin. So leptin and ghrelin, I can talk about a little bit more. And below that, we have growth hormone. So we have five different hormones, well, more than that, six different hormone kind of levels that can influence whether our body burns fat or whether our body burns carbohydrates at rest. Okay. So when we say insulin, we also mean insulin and glucagon, but we won't talk too much about glucagon. So going down that list, here's an important thing to know. If your insulin levels are elevated, period, I'm going to say it again. If your insulin levels are 
elevated, period. Your body is not burning fat. Your body is storing fat. Insulin is our storage hormone. It's an anabolic hormone by nature. It stores protein, it stores carbs, and it stores fat. It stores everything. When insulin is elevated, your body is in storage mode. That's important to know. Moving down the list. I should also say, if insulin is low, your body is releasing energy, right? So if your insulin levels are low, your body is able to burn or expend energy. So that's important to know. Moving down the list. We said next in the list, let's say adrenaline. Adrenaline is without a shadow of a doubt, an essential part of fat loss. Without adrenaline, fat burning is exponentially uh, harder. If uh, in fact, possibly impossible, it could be impossible. The, the absence of adrenaline in your body may make fat loss impossible. So when adrenaline is elevated, your body becomes way more effective at mobilizing fat. So this brings us to, remember I mentioned this two-step process that is fat loss? If you guys are writing stuff down, write this down. There's a two-step process. One is called lipolysis. So lipo, L-I-P-O, L-Y-S-I-S, lipolysis. The other is called oxidation, beta oxidation. So lipolysis is simply the release of fat from the fat cell into the blood. So it's the cleaving, ultimately, of the fat cell and letting it go into the bloodstream. Oxidation is the burning of it for energy. Okay. So uh, the lipolysis part is dependent on adrenaline to come from the cell into the bloodstream, right? And then when it's circulating in the bloodstream, this fat that we've just mobilized, these triglycerides, so-called triglycerides that are floating in the bloodstream, the body goes, well, is insulin elevated or is insulin low? If insulin is elevated, what happens to the fat? It goes right back to the fat cells. If insulin is low, what happens to the fat? It can then be oxidized or burned as energy inside the cell or inside the mitochondria. So it's important to acknowledge that two-step process. So then we say, okay, well, how are these other hormones, how are the other things happening in my body influencing these two steps? So as a, as a coach or as a man trying to lose, or a woman trying to lose some fat, I have to be consciously aware of what state is my body in at all times throughout the day, and how much can I take control over these physiological states? So there's a few things I said in here that are important that are ultimately going to lead to your action items. So by the time we're done, we're, we're going to have some really key action items for you guys to start applying for fat loss, okay? So when I wake up in the morning, most of us have been fasting for at least eight hours, right? If we've been sleeping, ideally it's eight hours, ideally it's even longer. When you guys are aspiring for fat loss, it is highly suggested that you don't eat for three hours before sleep. Three hours. Why? Because when we go to sleep or when we're going to sleep, we actually would prefer to have low levels of insulin, low levels of glucose. Not because that glucose necessarily gets stored as fat. That's not true. But what is true is that any type of elevation in blood glucose uh, or insulin can actually negatively impact the quality of sleep you're having. So the quality of deep sleep, therefore, it could negatively impact your hormones. So ideally, guys, if you're aspiring for, for um, fat loss, three hours before bed. Now we've got eight hours of sleep, ideally maybe seven for some of us, eight. And then maybe when we wake up in the morning, our insulin levels are low, our glucose levels are low. 
Not always, but sometimes. If anyone is diabetic or pre-diabetic, or guys, if you feel like you're metabolically um, call it broken, if you have a hard time losing fat, it's important to acknowledge that you do not fit into this category. If you're someone who's diabetic or pre-diabetic, your glucose will always be elevated in the morning. Therefore, your body will not want to burn fat. You, if you're diabetic, this is actually the, basically the definition of being diabetic, guys. If you're someone who's diabetic or pre-diabetic, your body does not burn fat for fuel. Your body only uses glucose for fuel. It doesn't know how to burn fat for fuel. So you wake up in the morning when most health, metabolically healthy people are burning the most fat, which is when we wake up in the morning, people who are diabetic do not because their body is so used to just having to use carbohydrate for fuel. This, the, the fat cells literally become resistant to mobilizing fat for, for oxidation. So the first thing you got to do as someone who's diabetic is you got to control your blood glucose. You can't consume carbohydrates. You can't have spikes in insulin. You just can't. You have to increase your training frequency. You have to increase your weight training frequency and do whatever you can possibly do to bring down insulin and glucose levels. And ultimately, that's influenced by a lot of things. Stress, sleep, movement, toxicity. There's a lot of things that influence diabetes. Okay. So those people aside, we still, as, as healthy men, have to aspire to decreasing morning insulin levels. So when you, if you got, has anyone ever here used a continuous glucose monitor to see what your insulin actually does throughout the day? Okay. If, whether you have or you haven't, it's important to know. Whatever time we go to bed, about two to three hours, two hours before we wake on average, your body reaches what's called its temperature minimum, meaning it's cold. It's starting to get cold. So you, because you've been, you've been sleeping for five to six hours, your body hasn't moved ideally. Your temperature is very low. So when your body senses this temperature minimum, what does it do? It goes, oh shit, I'm really cold. I better warm it up. It actually releases cortisol, releases the stress hormone, which starts to wake you up. Most of us reach our temperature minimum between 4 and 5 a.m. That spikes cortisol. Cortisol is an energy mobilization hormone. The body mobilizes energy in the form of carbohydrates, and your blood glucose goes up. How many of you guys feel most energized in the morning? You should. If you don't, you're probably metabolically ineffective. You should be most energized in the morning. Whether or not you're a morning person or not, you should be most energized in the morning because your cortisol should be elevated, and it should be elevated in the morning. We want cortisol elevated in the morning, right? That's very normal. But as I said, with an elevated cortisol also comes elevated glucose. So if we know glucose is up, insulin is always going to is also going to be up. Therefore, my body will not be most effective at, bur at burning fat because insulin and glucose are up. Yes? So what do I have to do? I want to bring it down first thing. So if your objective is fat loss, before you put anything, any calories into your body, you should be doing whatever you can to bring down glucose to bring down insulin first thing in the morning. Why has fasted cardio become such an important part of the fitness community? Because it works. It brings down blood glucose. It brings down insulin. It even brings down cortisol a little bit. So, and there's additional things. I'll, I'll actually, let's just say that for now. It does all of those things which are necessary prerequisites to fat loss. Here's another amazing thing that it can do if done correctly. It can increase adrenaline. So when you're training, if you guys ever get, when you, when you start training, you feel energized, you feel like you get that adrenaline rush, you get that endorphin rush. That is also very correlated with increased fat mobilization, increased fat oxidation. Okay. So when we train in the morning, there's a couple different approaches we can take. We can do the, 
low intensity, long duration, which will naturally bring down our blood glucose. Or we can do a high intensity workout, which actually increases adrenaline and increases our epoch post exercise oxygen consumption. Right. So this is the type of exercise that not only burns calories during the event, but significantly burns more as we um, go throughout the day, as the day progresses. This is a really good thing. So guys, exercise first thing in the morning. I've given you a couple of important takeaways here. If your objective is fat loss, don't eat three hours before bed. If your objective is fat loss, move in the morning. You don't have to do your hardest workout in the morning. Not not everyone's energized at 4.35, 6 in the morning, but you got to do something. So you got to commit to at least 20 to 30 minutes of movement in the morning. Ideally, it's got to get your heart rate up. And ideally, it's got to be, it's got to involve muscle contraction. So if it's like, I don't know, like a leisurely walk, like walking your dog doesn't count. It's got to involve some intentionality, some like pursuit, move your body, right? It can be a yoga class. It can be a a cycle. It can be a weight training session. It can be walking. It can be running, swimming, any of that stuff, but it's got to get your heart rate up. It's got to challenge your muscles. All right. So moving down the list. So we talked about um, insulin. We talked about, so we don't need to necessarily get into glucagon today. We talked about adrenaline. Then we said, we're going to talk about leptin and ghrelin. Has anyone heard of leptin and ghrelin before? Leptin and ghrelin are really important. Leptin and ghrelin are our appetite control hormones. So ghrelin, you know, when you feel hungry and you feel kind of like that hunger in the pit of your stomach, that's ghrelin. That's ghrelin saying, hey man, it's time to eat. Ghrelin is an amazing hormone. Here's why. I want you all to fall in love with ghrelin. When ghrelin is elevated, so too is growth hormone. Mm, What does growth hormone do? Growth hormone keeps us young and keeps us lean and retains muscle. Growth hormone is more anti-catabolic than it is anabolic, in fact, which means it prevents muscle breakdown, but it absolutely accelerates fat loss. So when I feel hungry, what do I do? Do I panic and go, I need to eat something? No. I smile and I go, "Ah, I'm burning fat. If you guys can create that psychological flip for yourself and learn to love hunger, your process will change. You know, as you're at 20, 22, there's probably some deficiencies and and, and some stuff's probably starting to break, right? And when I say metabolically broken, what we're looking at is it's probably an excess of inflammation. There's probably insulin resistance at some level. There's probably excess of uh, oxidative stress. There's probably the lack of mitochondria. So you need more mitochondria. Your body doesn't have enough, right? Or they're not functioning well. They're lethargic. So that's metabolically broken in a nutshell, right? So we need to improve your metabolic effectiveness. How do we improve metabolic effectiveness? Get comfortable being hungry. Really ask, so what happens when we're hungry? I was hungry. I didn't eat yesterday. I didn't eat the whole day yesterday. I was in a class and played baseball. I didn't eat the whole day. I felt hungry. What happens? Your body is forced to increase the rate of energy production per unit time. If I'm not constantly putting food in my mouth, my, my mitochondria go, I got to produce energy or I'm not going to be able to stay awake. So they start ramping up production. You'll notice when you're hungry that sometimes heat increases. The body temperature actually starts going up, right? This is your body going, hey, I need to increase energy production because if I don't, I'm not going to be able to do what I need to do today. That's a good thing. If we're constantly supplying energy, the blood glucose stays up. The mitochondria are just like, yeah, I'm good. I'm producing energy fast enough. I'm good. Right, so it's a, it's a very very powerful tool to learn how to be hungry. 
And, and as I said, ghrelin is this hunger hormone. Leptin is the satiety hormone. When I eat too much or when I eat enough, leptin goes, all right, I'm good. Right, I'm good. Right. And so it's important to understand these hormones at least a little bit so that when you start to feel those hunger uh, signals, you can understand what's happening. Moving down the list, we talked about estrogen and testosterone. Guys, you know, testosterone is your lifeblood as a man. Having the absence of testosterone is a really, really negative thing for us. It's actually, do you know, guys know that it's actually way more dangerous as far as long-term health outcomes to have low testosterone than it does high testosterone. So I get a lot of guys saying, hey, man, you know, how should I my testosterone be if I'm supplementing? I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to give you advice. But I will tell you that low testosterone is always, I don't know about always, often um, more negatively correlated with negative health outcomes. So if your testosterone is low, talk to your doctor or optimize your health, right? The other side of that is estrogen. And I specifically want to spend time on estrogen. So guys, when you think of estrogen, when it comes to the body, what do you think of? Most guys, I think women, that's, that's correct. And the other thing you think of is body fat retention, right? Feminization of, of the body, which ultimately is body fat retention. It's fat accumulation in your ass and your breasts. You look like a woman. So as you guys age, if you're seeing your body start to look more effeminate, breast tissues and, and big fat booty, you have to pay attention. My estrogen is probably elevated. Most of us have elevated estrogen, not because of a testosterone issue, but because of the environmental toxins that we're all consuming on a day-to-day basis in abundance. Abundance. Environmental toxins. What are environmental toxins? Plastic, pesticides, phthalates, probably a lot more. Makeups and cosmetics, perfumes, scents, all those things are environmental estrogens. So if you guys are drinking from a water bottle, that's plastic on a daily basis, you're consuming estrogen. If you guys are drinking tap water on a daily basis, you're consuming estrogen. If you guys are consuming antibiotics, if you guys are consuming um, like scented candles, um, air fresheners in your car, take that shit, throw it out the window 100% of the time, out the window. It's literally causing estrogenification of, of men and women also, believe it or not. If you guys want more research on this, this is all research back. This is not Ben talking through his hat. There's a book called Estro Generation by Dr. Anthony Jay that I suggest every one of you buy for yourself and for your partners and anyone you love. Learn where estrogen is and remove it. I don't consume anything from plastic anymore. I even just don't drink water if there's no water. If, like it's water that comes from plastic. I mean, I've probably had two, maybe three plastic water bottles in the last 12 months. Um, so I would just be aware of it, especially if it's heated, especially if it's heated. Don't ever put your plastic in the microwave. Ideally, guys, don't even buy stuff in plastic. Like, I won't even buy oil in a plastic jar, or like, I won't, I won't buy anything in plastic. Like, I'm, and here, here's <laughs> this is funny. I was, I was talking to my team today about this. Here's an important this is, you guys can look this up. So, six months ago, I taught on testosterone. I don't know if anyone was on that call. And I, I talked about, actually pulled up this research paper that showed that elevated estrogen consumption in um, women, and I believe in men as well actually um, directly contributed to decreased penis size in subsequent male generations. Say that again. I'm not, I'm not saying that as clearly as I could. If your wife or mom, in this case, consumed an excessive amount of plastic, estrogen, estrogen, estrogen promoting compounds during pregnancy while you're in utero, chances of your penis developing to be smaller was significant. So 
super interesting, man. For every man in the world's going like, hey, I want to be well endowed. <laughs> talk to your mom or talk to your wife, right? It's it's an it's an important thing. To, seriously, it's funny, but like the the world is um riddled with toxic estrogen compounds. So if you're consuming pesticides on your fruits and vegetables and in your meats, you're getting estrogen. If you're consuming plastic in your water bottles or your food, you're getting estrogen. If you're drinking tap water, you're getting estrogen. All these things exist. There's a, there's one again. This is this does not affect you, but it's it's a kind of a mind blowing stat. There's a pesticide called atrazine, which is the second most prevalent uh, pesticide in the world behind glyphosate, which is which is um, Roundup. So Roundup and glyphosate are kind of the first most prevalent. Atrazine is second. Atrazine turns male frogs female because because the, there's so much runoff on in farms. It turns the male frogs female. We're obviously not frogs, but it's still a kind of profound statement thing and thing to acknowledge. So, um, did we cover all the hormones? Yes, we did. Insulin, adrenaline, leptin and ghrelin, testosterone, growth hormone. Those are all those hormones. So, the two that I really want to focus on for today that you guys should focus on, control your insulin. If you want to lose body fat, control your insulin. So if your insulin is constantly elevated, like someone who's diabetic, the insulin stays elevated, you don't burn fat. So you must learn to bring your glucose down and your insulin down uh, respectively. Now, just because you're not eating carbohydrate doesn't necessarily mean you're not getting an insulin spike. You can still get an insulin spike from stress. You can still get an insulin spike from uh, excessive protein. So I'm not saying don't eat excessive protein. I'm just letting you know that just because your insulin is, you're, you're reducing carbohydrates doesn't necessarily mean you have low insulin. Okay. The other side of that is adrenaline. So there's a really great podcast that I suggest you guys all listen to called the Huberman Lab podcast. He speaks, he does a fat loss um, podcast probably six months ago now. It's awesome. He talks all about adrenaline's impact on fat loss. And so adrenaline is one of the primary drivers of lipolysis, meaning the release of fat from the cell into the blood so that it can be burned for fuel. Again, just to refresh your memory on this, lipolysis, the release of fat from the cell into the blood. Then oxidation is the burning of fat that's, that's mobilized in the blood as fuel. I'm going to mention a few more things that you must prioritize if you want to burn fat. One, you must prioritize your aerobic fitness. I know it sucks, but you must prioritize your aerobic fitness in the beginning to improve your body's ability to burn fat at rest. So aerobic fitness, the word aerobic means in the presence of oxygen. Anaerobic means in the absence of oxygen. So our body's ability to produce energy aerobically is a massive factor in our ability to burn fat at rest. Okay. So anyone beginning a fat loss journey, commit to a significant amount of aerobic fitness in the beginning. It doesn't mean you have to do it forever but you want to improve your aerobic fitness in the beginning. So I would say, guys, commit to 30 days of intense, frequent cardiovascular training. Now, here's the, here's the way that I frame this in my mind. So anyone who begins with me, everyone who begins working with me and my coaching, myself or my team, starts with what's called a foundational phase. Okay, So a foundational phase is we address six things in the foundational phase. And I'll tell you what these are because they're important. What I deem to be the most important six things in a foundational phase are sleep, stress, gut health and inflammation, insulin resistance, aerobic fitness, and skill acquisition. And skill acquisition is specific to exercise, right? 
Walking on a treadmill is a skill. Squatting is a skill. Lunging, deadlifting, bench pressing, those are skills. You must be at least a four out of five on each of the necessary prerequisites in order to move from a foundational phase into an optimization phase. So, right. So everyone does a foundational phase, everyone, because if you don't have the foundational requirements to progress, you don't progress. So if a foundational phase takes you 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, I don't know, depends where you're starting and how committed you are. Everyone does a foundational phase to optimize. I'll say it again, sleep. You got to get, you got to get your sleep better. You got to improve it. You got to have high quality sleep and we measure it. Stress. We got to improve our ability to be resilient to stress. It doesn't mean decreasing stress. I never say, hey, you need to stop doing stuff that's stressful. In fact, I don't, I, I don't promote that at all. I say you need to change your resilience to stress by becoming more fit, learning to control that. And I can teach you guys that. Uh, then we talk about gut health and inflammation. So if you're consuming stuff that's causing an irritated gut, like pesticides, like pharmaceuticals, like alcohol, like toxic foods, all those things are destroying your gut, your likelihood of being uh, lean, healthy, and muscular decreases. Here's a fact. Over the last 12 months, I've coached probably between 50 and 60 people personally. So my team has obviously done many more than that. But personally, I've worked with about 50 to 60 guys. And uh, we do microbiome uh, analysis. So for, for most of not all the guys, we do microbiome, um, which is a stool analysis. We do blood, we do urine, we do saliva, and we do DNA. We do five major tests. And I'll tell you what, every guy who has a diverse microbiome loses fat easily. And every guy who lacks diversity in their microbiome loses fat incredibly slowly, if at all. So that's just an anecdotal observation. I'm going to say it again. If you have poor diversity in your microbiome, which means less um, microbes, what will cause that? Uh, antibiotics, alcohol, um, pesticides, primarily, right? Uh, and poor diet. So if you guys have taken any of those or consumed those consistently, the likelihood of you burning fat goes way down. Someone who has a more diverse microbiome, which comes from what? Diverse plant foods. Time in nature, actually, believe it or not, the number one time, to, the number one way to improve your microbiome diversity, believe it or not, guys, is time in nature. So breathing the microbiome is actually the most effective way to improve your microbiome. Actually, the most effective way to improve your microbiome is being born naturally and getting breastfed, but many of us are not. Um, you could try now with your wife, um, but do your thing. Um, so that's important. Diversity of microbiome is important. Um, and if you don't have it, your, body, your likelihood of burning fat is much, much less. So important. Okay. So I can, I don't think I'm actually, I'll share my screen here with you guys. And I'm going to walk you through really quickly these 32 points. So this is guys, remember, this is specific to fat loss. And I can answer questions specific to body transformation, which may be slightly different, meaning I'm trying to build muscle and lose fat. By the way, you should and can do both of those at the same time. All right. So let's walk through these really quick. If you want to lose maximum fat, walk 5,000 steps before you eat anything. Now, this doesn't mean walking around your house in your underwear and, and like, you know, not moving, like walk, right? Research shows that spikes in adrenaline in the morning to start your day can be instrumental for fat loss. This can come in the form of intense weight training, walking, running, cycling, or rigorous sex. Fact, do it. Two, drink one liter of water upon waking and 500 milliliters of water before every time you eat. Three, don't eat carbohydrates unless you earn them. Four, prioritize protein. Five, prioritize omega-3 and nine. And minimize omega-6. That's just because environmentally and dietarily, we have a lot. 
Um, number six, eat to fuel performance, not to lose fat. Number seven, cycle your calories. That means having high days and low days. Number eight, sweat hard for more than 30 minutes every day. Hard, sweat hard. That means sauna could be in there as well. Number nine, get direct sun on your face and body every morning, if possible, ideally at sunrise. Infrared light. So guys, there's two things that are correlated with significantly decreased incidence of heart attack. Two things. What is it? Infrared light, which is the light exposure that happens before noon in the morning on your body and saunas. You guys should, if you're you're concerned about ever having a heart attack, get infrared light on your body, your face and body in every single morning and get in the sauna minimum three times a week, ideally five. Number 10, walk briskly for 10 minutes after your evening meal. Number 11, learn to control your breath. This is stress. This is digestion. It's so powerful. Number 12, build your aerobic fitness and CO2 tolerance. Number 13, understand and utilize heart rate variability. Number 14, prioritize quality movement. Number 15, execute a 30 to 60 minute, sorry, 30 to 60 day foundational phase of training. Number 16, train to build muscle, not to burn fat. The other one was uh, eat to perform, not to burn fat. Not the same. Train heavy to get strong, but only with perfect form. Number 18, train frequency first. That means your body is going to respond way more effectively if you're looking to burn fat and burn calories to higher frequency. So when we train, we don't just train one body part of workout. Throw that shit in the window, the bro split, stop doing that. You should be training three to four body parts per workout muscle groups, right? The quads, the glutes, the abs, the lats should be incorporated as many times as we can. Um, train mobility, you, you must, although because quality of movement is, is obviously reflected. Um, do cold tubs three times a week. If you can't get in a cold tub, do a shower, cold shower. Um, sauna four to five times a week. The only supplements that work for fat loss, read it. There's only four supplements that work for fat loss. Yerba mate, caffeine, Carnitine and magnesium. Everything else is bullshit. Number 23 is move more. 24, eliminate inflammatory foods. There's your list. Gluten, dairy, soy, corn, grain, vegetable oil, and sugar. 25, eliminate 95% of fruit. Berries are fine. Fruit and fructose are really bad for fat loss. Specifically, they drive up uric acid um, and they can cause fatty liver. If you have fatty liver, you don't burn fat. If you have fatty liver and you know it, start taking alpha lipoic acid. Uh, 600 milligrams a day. Um, Eat to support the microbiome. We talked about that. That's also getting out in natural environments. Number 27, eliminate bright lights after sunset. Number 28, don't eat for three hours before bed. Number 29, get eight hours of sleep. Number 30, get hungry. Talked about that. 31, commit to following a plan every day. Number 32, you guys guessed it, read it yourself. Harden the F up cupcake. Because I'll tell you what, guys. It's not going to be easy. It doesn't need to be easy. You're men. It's time to be strong and lead future generations, lead yourself first, and ultimately step in and be willing to face discomfort, right? Welcome discomfort. There's a great book, and guys, I just had on my podcast called The Tools, and they have this this tool called The Reversal of Desire. And this is something I've been doing uh, unknowingly for 20, well, for 20 plus years, is when things get hard, right? I often, you guys may have heard me say, at the deepest depths of your hardest hour, smile, smile, knowing you're becoming a better version of yourself, right? When shit gets hard, put a big, ugly smile on your face and realize that this is your opportunity. This obstacle is your opportunity, right? 
So when, you know, when things get hard in the gym, when things get hard in your diet, change your perspective, man. When you're stressed out, smile and go, ah, it's my opportunity to grow. It's always my opportunity to grow. Life isn't meant to be easy. Don't ask for life to be easy. Ask that we be stronger. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Bikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.